and welcome to Stories of Scotland. In this episode, we're hopping in a bonny boat and sailing over the sea to Skye for some radical rebellions. I'm Annie and I'm putting on my fighting bonnet. And I'm Jenny and my fighting bonnet is already double knotted and secure. Jenny, there's nothing about you that isn't double knotted. (laughs) I don't even know what that means, Annie. I'm going to take that as a compliment. This week, we are sharing the history of a community rising against all odds to protect their land rights. This series is funded by the Royal Society of Literature and looking at some fascinating writing about the environment of the late 1800s. This episode is so very special to us. It's a story we've wanted to tell for a really long time. During research, I came across a song in a newspaper that was written 140 years ago, all about this event that we're talking about. And we've commissioned Scots folk singer Iona Fife to bring this song to life. When myself and Jenny first heard it, it was amazing. It gave me shivers. So trust me for this episode you really want to listen until the end to hear this amazing tune which i'm thrilled to be sharing but first before we get into the battle of the braes let's understand some background history have a wee look at the socio-political climate in late 19th century highlands we're in the aftermath of the highland clearances The Highland Clearances were the forced evictions of tenants from the Scottish Highlands and Islands, which had catastrophic implications for the populations of these areas. The clearances took place between the mid-1700s and mid-1800s, so about a hundred year span. The Highland Clearances had a long-lasting impact on the landscape of this region, with scars still visible today. There are a few different phases of the clearances, but every phase comes down to large-scale landowners putting profits before communities. Now, in this time, the clan system had been deteriorating for generations, eroded by both monarchy and parliament seeking to control the highlands and islands. The clan chiefs, who were once custodians of the land on behalf of their communities, are now landlords. This is a really important part of Scottish history and highlights a couple of important political issues. The first is centralised powers mismanaging the highlands and islands because they don't really understand just how different this region is. During the time of the Highland Clearances, Scotland did not have its own parliament. The British Parliament in London is incredibly remote from the highlands and islands and has little feeling on the pulse of what this area needs. Then, we also have large-scale landowners making decisions of the land for the benefit of their own purses. For example, clearing tenants to take higher rents from sheep farmers. It reshapes both the land and the communities who live here. People are shifted to working in bubble industries, and landowners reap the profits of these industries until the bubbles inevitably pop. And when the Highland communities are not making profits or stop making profits for their landowners, they're forced away. 
On top of this, many of the landlords had crippling debts that they were trying to keep up with. However, at the core of the problem was massive swaths of land being concentrated into the hands of very few people. And this is an issue that is yet to be tackled in Scotland to this day. The folks of the Highlands and Islands who worked the land were bitten by many hardships, from declining land rights to the collapse of industries that had been used to support their income, such as kelp. And then the Highland Potato Famine. As a result of the potato famine in the mid-1800s, Highlanders and Islanders are put under massive pressure to immigrate to British colonies. This push comes from both landlords and the Highland and Ireland Emigration Association, who would pay the boat fares for folks to get off of the land. The British government had quite close ties to this organisation and these journeys were really quite dangerous because of the infectious diseases you got on the ships. In Skye, an estimated 700 families, totalling around 3,500 people, were cleared from their generational homes. When you travel round the North and West Highlands, you can still come across clearance villages. They often look like a cluster of loose ruins, and it's not always obvious that folks used to live there, but they did. And these now quiet, abandoned foundations were once vibrant with life. But the Battle of the Braes comes after the clearances, and it's not the story you might expect it to be. In a lot of the accounts and protests that we see in the late 1800s, it's about communities asserting that if they could simply be allowed to use the land in some of the traditional agricultural ways that they've done before, they would be able to make livelihoods for their families. And so the Battle of the Braes is a real ignition for social change in Scotland, trying to assert some of these old rights into a legal system that doesn't want them to fit. But before we dive into this chapter of protest and power in Sky, let's have a wee glimpse across the sea to look at what's happening with the Irish Land League because we know the Irish Land League had great impact on the Highlands feeling brave enough to rise up. Ah, yes, the Irish Land League. This was a political group formed in 1878 in Ireland. Obviously, else the name would just be a bit weird. (laughs) And its focus and goal was the abolition of landlordism throughout the land and for the land to be in the ownership of those who lived and worked upon it, the tenant farmers. You see... These tenant farmers were in a bit of a nasty bind. Since 1873, there had been a worldwide economic recession known as the Long Depression. And this hit the Irish farmers particularly hard because along with this global recession came consecutive seasons of poor weather, resulting in poor harvests, resulting in poor farmers. To add to this, the land these people worked on was not their own and rent was due. No matter the state of the harvest, the landlord was always waiting. And I'm pretty sure these landlords didn't do the decent thing and slash rents to accommodate the struggling farmers. Correct, Annie. Landlords across Ireland insisted on extortionate rents, and so the farmers, 
caught between eviction and poverty, banded together and decided to fight the injustice and refuse to pay rent. What started as many localised land league organisations led to the formation of the Irish National Land League, which fought for three Fs, and these three Fs were not Food, Fun and Furbies. That was my League of the Eternal Children's Party, which I established in 1997. We've got one member. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing at that joke now. It's funny. It's funny. It'll make the the cut. (laughs) No, the Irish Land League's original three Fs were Fair Rent, Fixity of Tenure and Free Sale. Okay, so the Irish farmers basically want the rent to be reasonable because they're a proud people. They want to pay the rent, but at that point in time, it just doesn't reflect the rest of the economy and what's happening. They also want the threat of eviction to be removed and the right to work towards ownership of the land that they work upon, free sale. And this is such an important principle of the Land League because people have been paying rent on this land for generations and generations and generations. They've paid the worth of the land so many times over through their ancestors to the ancestors of the landowner. So this ability to be able to buy it is so important. It feels like it should have happened so much further back in the chain. And this was the start of the Irish Land Wars, and they captured the attention of the national press. Exactly. And the Scots looked across the water at their Celtic cousins rebelling against their harsh conditions. And they thought, wait, our conditions are just as harsh as theirs, and those three Fs sound pretty good. Let's do something similar to ensure that we are treated fairly and have the rights we deserve. Now we see why land rights in the late 1800s are so crucial. For a lot of community, these land rights are fundamental to both their economic but also their cultural survival. In fact, this is still true to this day. I'm going to be giving us a wee note here that one of the main sources we're using for this episode is going to be the Napier Commission, The Napier Commission was a big inquiry into the conditions of crofters and it's particularly fascinating to us because they write down the direct oral testimonies of crofters which gives us an incredibly valuable insight into these events. Shall we go to Sky, Jenny? We're already in the boat, Annie. We're halfway there. Across Sky, trouble is brewing as landlords are pushing up rents and driving their tenants to desperate measures. Tension is bubbling and Lord Macdonald's estate management is festering with discontent. Yes, the predecessors of our 1882 Lord Macdonald had moved tenants from the good farming lands out to poorer quality lands on the coasts. They did this to make space for deer and sheep. This results in overcrowding around the area of the Braes, about five miles by road south of Portree in Camus Chianovic. 
So we're going to jump into the Crofter Testimonies of the Napier Commission to get an understanding of Skye in the 1880s. Our first issue we're going to have a look at is overcrowding. As we learn from Samuel Nicholson, a crofter from Balminach. Jenny, if you be the crofter, I'll be the Napier Commission examiner. Okay. We were very much crowded by other people being placed in our township, strangers. And we were also in trouble through our holdings being made smaller and the rents increased. We have particular cause for speaking in our own interests as regards the hill of Ben Lee, which was taken from us. I can point out to the present day the shillings which the women had in my grandfather's time on the hill, and we were looking upon it that we had full right of the grazing on Ben Lee. We were also much hampered by families from other townships being crowded in amongst us, and part of our land taken from us for their accommodation, without reduction of rent. Can you state, within your own memory, within the last 30 or 40 years, about how many families have been brought in from different places around, and crowded in upon the soils of the Braes? Aye, I'm, uh, I'm free to say that there are 20 such families at any rate. Within the last 30 or 40 years? Aye, within my own memory, that is within the last 30 or 40 years. When the families are brought in and the land is divided, is there a fair reduction of the rent made to the parties for whom the land is taken from to be given to the newcomers? Not a penny of reduction in the township in which I live. Not a penny. There was no reduction. What rent, then, do the new families pay? Are they, are they charged rent? Aye, of course. So what we're hearing is that more people are being cleared from their land and moved onto the crofting land at the Braes. The existing crofts get divided up and shrunk, but the rents remain the same. It's an outrage. But we're also hearing about the common grazings of Ben Lee. Common grazings are areas of land which are owned by a landowner, but not leased to any one crofter. Instead, many crofters share the rights to graze their sheep or cattle or horse or even hog on the area of land. Often, one township would have an area of common grazings to share between them. Or sometimes, multiple townships shared one big common grazings area. Each crofter would have a share, and each share would equal a certain number of sheep or cattle. In most places, a cow is equal to about five sheep, and one horse is equal to two cows. So, as long as everyone was complying with their fair share, then the land was not overgrazed and all could benefit from its bounty. It's an ancient practice that requires cooperation throughout the community, and it's central to the crofting system. And it wasn't just grazing. The crofters had the rights to cut peat, collect thatch and seaweed if it was near the shore. Yes, common grazing land is usually hillside or mountainside. Land that's not great for agriculture and shores also aren't great for agriculture, so they often fall into this category. However, despite having the right to graze on the land, the landlords could, at any time, remove these rights and resume the land for their own benefit. Nowadays, there's lots of rules and regulations about compensating the crofters if this occurs, 
but back in the 1800s, crofters weren't quite as well protected. By not quite as well protected, do you mean they they were not protected at all, Jenny? Yes, yes, I do mean that. And we see this in Sky because in 1865, Lord MacDonald decided he was going to resume the land of Ben Lee, an area that the folks of the overcrowded braes were using as common grazing. Not only does he not provide other ground for common grazing, he also doesn't reduce the rent for those who are living in the braes. This was a major hit for the crofters. Already living on the poverty line, struggling with high rents and poor farming land, they had now lost their precious grazing land. But the sheep and cattle are very valuable to the crofters. These animals need to be kept alive and healthy, and they're going to need to eat something and live somewhere. So the crofters were forced to graze their animals on land that had previously been agricultural, further depleting and damaging the more fertile land. More, With crops now compromised, the crofters then had to buy meal for both their families and their animals, plunging them into further poverty and debt. It's, it's all so heartbreaking that all these people wanted was enough land to support their families on, and instead they are pushed to the very edge of existence and treated with absolutely no humanity or compassion at all. It's heartbreaking and horrific. By 1882, these folks of the Braes were utterly impoverished. But taking lead from the Irish Land League, the people of the Braes band together and go on a rent strike, refusing to pay their rent until their grievances are dealt with. On the 29th of March, 1882, the crofters exclaim, We the tenants do humbly pray that the hill ground that was taken from us be restored to us. We have found it impossible to live in this present state of affairs. We have been clipped of our rights. How are we to live? And this brings us into April 1882, when the folks of Skye are well aware that their rent strike is going to ruffle up the feathers of Lord MacDonald. Yeah, there were lots of rumours going around that he was half bird, half man. Weird guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, folks, he didn't really have feathers. He wasn't a chicken. (laughs) But in classic landlord fashion, Lord MacDonald goes to the extremes. Instead of listening to the justifiable issues that the tenants have because of his own unfair land management and trying to come to some sort of compromise, well, Lord MacDonald gets the full power of the law to weigh in. He instructs a sheriff officer to serve every single rent striker with summons of removal. He's going to evict them all. The tenants, however, are expecting some kind of retaliation. And so they've asked their children to keep an eye out for the sheriff officer. Essentially, they're using their bairns as we sentinels. So when our children's spies see the sheriff officer on his way to deliver the summons, they run and report this to their families and to the rest of the community. And all these crofters The woman, the man, and the children march out to meet the sheriff officer. The people of the Braes did not have kind words for the sheriff officer with his summons in hand. 
There's a few different versions of what exactly happens, but what is certain is that the sheriff's documents end up being burned. My favourite version that we came across was one of the crofters asking a child to fetch a burning peat. So the wee boy runs away and comes back to the gathering, burning peat in hand. But the flame is just a tiny ember. One of the crofters then asks the sheriff officer to blow on the burning peat, which he does. And then, in this new ignited flame, the crofter uses it to burn the papers. I enjoy that they made the sheriff officer give his own oxygen <laughs> to start the fire. It's just brilliant because they knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> Very poetic. <laughs> I also read a version where the sheriff officer is asked to make his own fire and then the crofters supply him with fish liver to burn upon it. And as the liver is so oily, it creates a big blaze. And the sheriff officer is told by 150 angry crofters to burn the summons himself. So either by peat or liver, the summons is burnt. Yep, either way, the sheriff officer ends up watching the summons go up in a crinkle of fire and a cloud of ash, and then quickly retreats from the braze, slightly singed tail between his legs. The sheriff kept quiet, but his assistant tried to take a stand. But the crofters were not welcoming to someone had taken a day's pay to do such a cruel act as serve eviction summons to an entire community. And so they emptied their chamber pots on him. And with a splash, he too left the scene. <laughs> I feel like this might not be the best tactic for getting rid of unwanted documentation. I don't know, I feel like, you know, summons no more. What more can you ask for? <laughs> I feel it's a bit like leaving your bills unopened and thinking that that will make them go away because you haven't read how much you owe. True, but burning your bills is better than just leaving them there because at least the anxiety of seeing the pile isn't with you anymore. People, this is, <laughs> this is bad financial <laughs> advice right here. <laughs> However... This little spark that burnt the summons goes out of control. Not in a wildfire sense, but in a metaphorical sense. Because it leads us up to the 19th of April, 1882, when history witnesses the Battle of the Braes. Unfortunately for us, destroying these documents did not also destroy the law or the intent behind them. And so... If the people of the Braes were not going to heed the meaning of these summons, to pay their rents or to be removed from their homes, well, Lord MacDonald was going to force them. And so MacDonald begins dredging Scotland for enough police officers to take on the crofters of Skye. Inverness can offer up a dozen police officers, but this will never be enough. So... Glasgow supplies 50 officers to quash this tenant dispute. They're hoping to surprise the Braes crofters early in the morning on the 19th of April. And though the people of Skye may not have heard of this force en route, everyone was in anticipation of it, as were the newspapers of the time. When the papers discovered that this massive group of police were heading west, a couple of journalists also joined and went to Skye to witness the story come to a head. The plan for the authorities is to bring this large police force into the Braes in the wee small hours of the morning 
surprising the crofters as they are just getting out of their beds and waking up to make their porridge. It's a dawn raid. They're going to seize their prisoners, these ringleaders asking for land rights, and take them to jail. So the police leave very late on the 18th of April. And remember, this is the time before the Sky Bridge, even before the fairy pools had a car park. So to get this small garrison across the sea, the authorities needed cautious planning. Crossing by steamship, they find themselves approaching the quay at Portree at around 2am in the morning. Stealthy, right? Very sneaky, like an adder in the grass. Wrong. It is, in fact, just a twig in the grass. For you see, the water is too low for them to enter the quay. And so their not-so-stealthy vessel is just floating out there, waiting. A bright beacon for anyone who looks out to the sea that something out of the ordinary is about to dock. But the authorities still have the element of surprise. Surely they wouldn't make their intentions obvious, very obvious, by, say, the sheriff going down and waiting on the edge of the pier for these reinforcements to arrive. They're as well to have had a piper piping the boat ashore at this point. (laughs) (laughs) But this is exactly what happened, Annie. And so, the second the steamer ship docked, two fishermen sprinted to the braes to warn them of what was approaching. Eventually, the authorities decide to march by foot to the braes. So, shall we jump into an eyewitness account by a journalist from the Dundee Advertiser? Here we were then. Two sheriffs, two fiscals, captain of the police, 47 members of the Glasgow Police Force, a number of the county constabulary, as well as a couple of newspaper representatives from Dundee and Glasgow and a gentleman representing a well-known Glasgow drapery house. I have no idea why the man from the Glasgow drapery house is joining them. I mean, maybe he just wants to witness history in the making. He's the ultimate curtain twitcher. (laughs) (laughs) We started on an eight-mile tramp to the Land League Camp Braze, in weather that was of sheer brutal ferocity. In the cold grey dawn, the procession wore a somewhat sombre aspect. It looked for all the world like a highland funeral. It was quite on the cards, indeed, that the return journey might partake in the nature of a funeral procession. There could be no doubt that everyone was fully aware of the gravity of the mission on which we were proceeding. It is literal truth to say that no member of our company expected to return without receiving knocks, if not something more serious than a mere knocking about. We were perfectly aware that the crofters had made preparations for giving us a warm reception. About half past six o'clock, we reached the boundary of the disaffected district nearest Portree. Hitherto, scarcely a single soul was observed along the route and some surprise was expressed by those in charge. At the schoolhouse, however, it was expected we would encounter some resistance. But the place was empty. Another mile, and signs of life appeared among the hillocks. 
Presently, our ears were saluted with whistling and cheering, and this was interpreted as a sign that it was time to close the ranks. Arriving at the boundary of Balmanach, we found a collection of men, women and children, numbering about a hundred. They cheered, mounted atop the knoll, and the women saluted the policemen with reels of sarcasm about their voyage from Glasgow. A halt was called then, and a parley ensued between the local inspector and what appeared to be the leader of the townships. At the base of the steep cliff on which we were standing, and extending to the seashore, lay the hamlet of Balmenach. There might be about a score of houses dotted over the plain. From each of these, the owners were running hillward with all their speed. It was evident that they had been taken by surprise. Men, women and children rushed forward in all stages of attire, most of the females with their hair down and streaming behind them in the breeze. While we were watching them, others had gathered and surrounded us. What happens next baffles me yet. The women, with infuriated looks and bedraggled dress, for it was still raining heavily, were shouting at the top pitch of their voices, uttering the most fearful curses hurling forth the most terrible vows of vengeance against the authorities. The authorities, however, proceeded at once to perform their disagreeable task, and in the course of twenty minutes, the five suspected persons, the ringleaders of the disruption, were apprehended and taken prisoner. A scene that baffles description followed. The woman, with the most violent gestures and curses, declared that policemen should be attacked. Stones began to be thrown, and so serious was this onslaught that the policemen drew their batons and charged. This was a signal for a general attack. Huge boulders darkened the horizon as they sped from the hands of the infuriated men and women. Large sticks and flails were brandished and brought down with crushing force upon the police, though the poor prisoners in their custody were not protected from the blows. Our party retreated towards a narrow gully where we could neither advance nor recede. For two minutes, the expedition stood exposed to a merciless shower of missiles. Many were struck and a number more or less so injured, the situation was highly dangerous. At length, a rush was made, and the gully was cleared. Then, the most exciting scene of all occurred. The police were ordered by Captain Donald to charge. The crowd were driven back, and in the struggle, some persons received wounds from which they are not likely to recover for weeks. One woman's head was fearfully battered, and she was left senseless on the road. Four others rushed around like maniacs, their faces covered in blood issuing from horrible wounds in the head. Several of the men were also badly beaten, and at least one policeman suffered a great injury. We returned to Port Tree by nine o'clock. 
In this way, the Great Land War was opened. The woman who was truncheoned and left by the police fallen on the road was named Mary Nicholson. She was found by her community with blood pouring down her neck. There were a few other women who were badly injured in the attack, but the men of both the Crofton community and the police were themselves mostly bruised. One police officer had his nose badly smashed by a rock, and the captain of the police, Captain Donald, had a stone the size of a ripe turnip thrown at his knee, so he had a knee injury that swelled up later that evening, and I just included that bit so that you could hear the description of the turnip-sized rock. To be fair, Annie, the size of a ripe turnip, if it's from your turnip patch, I can't even imagine how that would get thrown. Let's hope it's one from your turnip patch, Jenny. (laughs) Stand in the wind. (laughs) (laughs) And in the end, the police did take their prisoners. But to do so, they had charged with batons at a bunch of women, men and children, armed with nothing but rocks. This whole event, the Battle of the Braes, completely divides public opinion. On one hand, some see the Sky Crofters as lawless criminals, biting the hand that feeds them. The other side, however, have great empathy for the Sky Crofters, who were simply trying to provide for their families and live on the land that connected them to their culture. The prisoners who had been taken from the Braes had their fines paid by sympathetic supporters who ensured that they had enough money to travel back to their homes, and they were given a hero's welcome. We will hear soon the names of these men who were taken prisoner sung to us, so listen out for these names. James Nicholson, who was the husband of one of the badly injured women. Donald Nicholson, Alexander and his son Malcolm Finlayson, and Peter MacDonald. We'll get to the song in a wee minute. It's worth it. The Battle of the Braes was a violent moment in Scotland's complicated history with land, but a really significant one. Crofters stood strong on the rights that had been told to them by their ancestors, that they belonged here on this land. But these rights passed down through oral tradition did not match up with the words of the written law. If we rewind back to the day of the Battle of the Braes, the police had a choice. Upon seeing these women armed with rocks, they could have turned round and said, we won't take these prisoners today. Their crime is really not hurting anyone but Lord Macdonald's purse. But they chose to charge, armed with battens, at these crofters. And anyone can see that that wasn't the right decision to make. Though the law may have been on the side of the police, I can see the kind of moral rightness of the crofters. Lord Macdonald did continue to push the issue of Ben Lee. However, eventually he had to compromise with the crofters' demands. Public sympathy for the crofters made Lord Macdonald look like a massive rotten turnip. The spirit of the Braes crofters invigorated Skye with the will to protect their place on the land. 
The burning embers of summons at the braes started a protest burning across the island. The bravery of the Sky Crofters, and Crofters across Scotland, who stood up for their wee bit hill and glen, forced a change in the land laws in Scotland. These protests led to massive political change. The Highland Land League, also known sometimes as the Crofters Party, managed to get five members elected in the 1885 election and demanded legal change to protect the rights of Crofters. It was the starting point for land reform in Scotland. The start of giving rights to the people who live here on the land. However, there's still a long road ahead for land reform in Scotland with a great majority of Scotland's rural land still being in the hands of very few people. Land reform is seen as one of the major issues that needs to be tackled to ensure that the Highlands don't face further depopulation. And this is something that is so close to our hearts. We want a future for this region, and for this region to stand any chance we need major changes in how land is managed. Yeah. And I think we can take a little bit of inspiration from the fighting spirit of the Brays. I'll get my turnips. <laughs> One turnip at a time, Jenny. When we were doing research, I found the words of this song, which was written and published at the start of May 1882, just a couple of weeks after the Battle of the Braes. I recognised the tune, and I was absolutely intrigued by the thought of hearing this song, sung for what could be the first time in 140 years. So we asked the incredibly talented Scots singer, Iona Fife, to bring this ballad to life for us. And she did a phenomenal job. So let's hear these words now. Who did she go to sky or no? Or did the battle seamen atween the crofters and to Lord MacDonald Opertreeman? Ninsa was stayed in Salima to policemen's fifty in a row to crofters' bairns' life's in a and if a sure sick coffin clear was never viewed since Waterloo, I seen unto Misty Hailman. Hide him a header, I'm a hide him da. Hide him a header, I'm a hide da. Hide him a header, I'm a hide him dandy. Hide him, header, I'm a hide him. To policemen's come a taco drum, we sheriff's fire to a man, and procurator fiscal sum, we muckle puff and blah man. They'll come to chase her fae the breeze, and Donald Captain soon she'll seize. Who whom my lads and shacker clears, and policemen's jump at crofters' rump, and women's road and hook and sword, and gave them heathen love, man. Hide em a header, em a hide em da. Hide em a header, em a hide da. Hide em a header, em a hide em dandy. Hide em, header em, hide em. To policeman's time, MacDonald's thumes, and soon to Malcolm Finley sins, and next her feather Sandy dooms, and James and Donald Nicholson's. 
Yet new to life, what horror here? Will yellow hooked it and the hair? She'll rush for eggs in her despair and throw them down on policemen's croon and helmets crash and shooters smash. We fiery spite and passion. Hide em a header, em a hide em da. Hide em a header, em a hide da. Hide em a header, em a hide em dandy. Hide em, header em, hide em. Oh, had you seen the fella bags? And had you seen the truce man? And had you seen how Lockie's wife go wrestling down to blues, man? It was a sect you'll ne'er forget, while she can sail the fishing boat, or drink to drams down out her throat. But what it want to wife's or man's, she rushed for stains to brap some beans, the land that sings her name, man. Hide em a header em a hide em da, hide em a header em a hide a. Hide em a header em a hide em dandy, hide em header em hide em, hide em a header em a hide em da, hide em a header em a hide a, hide em a header em a hide em dandy, hide em header em hide em. Annie, that is such a belter. I honestly can't get it out of my head. A massive thanks to Iona for bringing this song back to life after such a long time. There's a great deal of creative song and theatre about the Battle of the Braes for anyone interested. We could probably make a whole album. The Battle of the Braes is featured in the song Oren Ben Lee by Mary Vaughan and Oren and in the tremendous play The Cheviot, The Stag and The Black Black Oil. If you happen to write your own song about the Braes, then please do share it with us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and supporting our wee podcast. It means so much to us. I am genuinely living my dream when I can find an archival song and say to Jenny that I really want to hear it and then we can approach someone as talented as Iona Fife to make a beautiful recording for us. And we wouldn't be able to do this without all of your support. It's really amazing, Annie. I love it. And to be able to share it with all of you listeners all over the world is its just the coolest thing. So thank you all so much for listening. You can support us by following us on all of the social medias, even LinkedIn. And if you can spare 45 seconds to leave us a review, that would honestly help us so, so much. Um, we love hearing from you all. If you could spare 45 minutes to explain to me how to use LinkedIn... <laughs> That would also be very appreciated. <laughs> you can also support us on Patreon by heading over to www.patreon.com slash stories of Scotland. We love all our Patreons so much. You guys are giving us the opportunities to commission songs from wonderfully talented folk. So a massive thank you to our Patreon supporters who help us make this show. And a warm welcome to our new Patreons. Beth, Cam, Katie B., William, Riley, and Kate. Thank you, kind folks, so, so much. I like to imagine you as the fairies of Ben Lee, dancing happily on the mountain after it's returned to shared grazing. Because you know what? If there's one thing I know about fairies, it's that you love sharing your magical mountain with a bunch of sheep and cows and even the odd horse <laughs> here and there. 
and you've befriended all of the sheep and whenever they have lambs you're allowed to ride the lambs like they're little little fairy horses and it makes you so so happy and you also grow lots of turnips on the mountain because you're those kind of fairies but sometimes the sheep eat the turnips but you're like ah that's that's cool because you let us ride your lambs so yeah it's a balance yeah all right okay thank you for listening everyone slangeva <laughs> slangeva I've forgotten how to speak. I might listen to my headphones. My jaw must be too tight. <laughs> we should do pre, pre-podcast pre stretching. That's my face. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hot. You can't, I, I can't do it. <laughs> Power to the people. Power to the people. Jenny, if you be the crofter, I'll be the examiner. Okay, you said that kind of sexy. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs>